Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to a special edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show, the 2022 FIFA World Cup qualification cycle, <coughs> the Octagon in CONCACAF, as the United States' full-time whistle is blown, they defeat Jamaica by a final of two goals to nil, the new sensation. The new wunderkid in Ricardo Pepe scores two goals inside the beginning of the second half. A clean sheet for Matt Turner. And the United States now with their second victory out of four World Cup qualifiers. And at the moment, eight points with this young squad. It's looking great. Along with Carter Krishnayer of World Soccer Talk. This, Kardec, my I have to say this. I don't have a problem with the opening 45. I thought they played good. They had some good moments. Not great, but once again, if the referee would have shown red instead of yellow on those two, as they say, denying of a goal-scoring opportunity, Kamar Lawrence got the original one, which was a yellow, not a red. The second one, which also showed as a yellow, not a red against Brendan Aronson. Maybe Jamaica is down to nine, and maybe the USA gets more than just two goals in this one. But we have to say it, Cardick. This young squad is exactly what we've been hoping for for a very, very long time. And I think what is pretty significant about the way the U.S. played today. And the way the U.S. played in the second half in San Pedro Sula is that you're seeing a much more vertical game uh, from the U.S. with uh, Brendan Aronson on the pitch and with Ricardo Pepe as the focal point uh, as that center forward and the ability for Anthony Robinson to get forward on the left side. I saw him do that all, uh, uh, fairly often in the first few matches of the season for Fulham under Marco Silva in England, and, and Berhalter saw the same thing I saw and said, hey, this is a guy that um, hadn't been particularly good for the national team before. Now he's got a new manager at Fulham that's using him differently. Maybe I can take that element of what he's doing at the club level and impart it into the national team, and it's worked. So um, Robinson getting forward, I think Dest obviously put a great ball on the first goal. Uh, there were uh, – <clears throat> Some moments in this match where I thought um, Jamaica's midfield was getting the better of of, uh, of Musse and and McKinney. I, Tyler Adams had a really good game, but the the other two midfielders I think were were kind of hot and cold um, starting midfielders through the match. But the front three, the vertical uh, vertical game, Ariola contributed that to, to that also really important. And I have to say this, and I, I don't want to start controversies here, but I guess I'm going to. When you have Gio Reyna and Christian Pulisic and Josh Sargent, who's kind of a different kind of striker, different kind of focal point, starting, 
I don't think you quite have this sort of quick uh, break vertic- vertical mat- game where you can use the fullbacks. And we, we actually saw Burhalter do this with Columbus. So I think Robinson's evolution at Fulham uh, with the managerial change from Scott Parker to Marco Silva fits into the way um, Burhalter used his fullbacks in, in, when he was managing an MLS. Uh, fits what Burhalter wants to do in terms of style. He's got the players to execute that now. Now, I, 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 again, I didn't want to start a controversy, but you systems, certain guys work better in certain systems. And we'll see – how um, Reina and Pulisic, Sargent, uh, maybe uh, uh, Jordan Pifolk, who, of course, scored the winning goal for, for young boys against Manchester United in the Champions League, how these guys are reintegrated into the team when they're fit. But um, I, I think it's, it's tough to make a case right now to pull any of the, uh, the front three out of the lineup. Uh, and that's, I, I know that's going to be wildly controversial, but – I, I think the second half against Honduras, w- once Robinson got brought on, once uh, uh, Leggett got brought on, uh, the, the, the game was completely different, right? The trajectory of the game. And I know yep. Pulisic had a good game, but we were, we were actually better once he was off the pitch. I don't know that Gio Reyna necessarily fits in this system. Uh, to, you know, to be successful in the World Cup, you're going to have to build around Pulisic, Reyna, Adams, McKinney, um, that, that group. But to get through CONCACAF qualifying, particularly when teams defend deep against you and you need to stretch them vertically and you need to get behind them, uh, this seems like a more ideal team, particularly Pepe and Aronson uh, playing. So uh, uh, we'll see what Verhalter does down in Panama and obviously in, in – uh, the, the final match of this three-match set against Costa Rica, but I really like the look of this squad now, and it's not the guys we expected, right? It's, we, I, I think some, we talked about Brendan Aronson, but we didn't expect him to be this, this critical. Uh, Sebastian Leggett, Leggett didn't play today, but he, he was critical in the, in, in the Honduras comeback. Anthony Robinson's a player I've tracked for years in England, has felt like he isn't really progressing the way I'd like. Then there was a managerial change, as I mentioned at Fulham, because uh, Scott Parker took another job. It's not that he got sacked, it's that he took the Bournemouth job. Uh, Silva comes in, complete Marco Silva, former Everton manager, uh, who had Robinson as a youth player there, totally changes the way he plays. That fits what Burhalter is doing more than anyone else we have playing the fullback position. So uh, Robinson is, is great against Canada, uh, is great in the second half against uh, Honduras, is great today fitting in this system, and he's not a guy we expected to even be playing, right? At this point, I wasn't even sure if he'd make, make the squad. And then, uh, obviously, Ricardo Pepe is a guy uh, that was not even, uh, had not even committed to the U.S. until six weeks ago. So um, we talked a lot, Daniel, about Pulisic and McKinney and Arena and all of the guys in this generation that are starring in Europe. And, in fact, it's a different set of guys that's carrying the U.S. forward, which is a great problem to have. We have more depth maybe than we've ever had. I mean, we have this depth is kind of resembling the level of depth we had, I would say, in the, in the period from 2000 and, uh, 2001, 2002 to, to about 2009. I mean, we had this level of depth until we got hit with a bunch of injuries in 2009 that, uh, that hobbled us for 2000, 2010 World Cup. But it's exciting. It's very exciting. And let me just say this right now, Kardec, and I am going to agree with you about this. 
I don't think we expected Brendan Aronson to develop this quickly to become this much of a threat, period. I didn't expect him to do what he's been doing for the national team. I mean, it, I mean, we saw some probably some flashes of it in a couple of friendlies here and there. Um, what he's done at Red Bull Salzburg right now in the Austrian Bundesliga has been amazing to watch. At the same time, you know, when you talk about an 18-year-old like Ricardo Pepe is, and you see, of course, the past players that started young, like Freddie Adu, you know, maybe even Eddie Johnson at the time after he had some issues. I mean, he was still able to score goals, but they never reached a peak that you were expecting from them. You know, the next generation of talented strikers, where are you going to be after uh, Landon Donovan or Clint Dempsey or even Clint Mathis, you know, Eddie Eddie Lewis, I mean, where were the next round of strikers like Brian McBride, even though he's more of a target striker than he is of an attacking striker, where were you going to see the future of the striker position for this national team? And my God, Kardec, three goals in two World Cup qualifying matches in back-to-back World Cup qualifying matches by Ricardo Pepe? This 18-year-old kid who's lighting up the net like we've never seen before so far. I know it's still early, and I'm not trying to crown him yet, but he has been a revelation at the striker position right now. Yeah, all three goals have been different too, right? So the Honduras game, he he played creator on a couple of goals, right? I mentioned Robinson was critical, legend. Uh, and and, uh, and also uh, Aronson in that game, but he provided he provided and then he got the scraps on 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 his goal or the goal he actually scored tonight. The first goal he finds the po- a pocket of space, which to say I don't think there's been an American striper that I remember since um, since maybe Roy Wagerly. I, I mean we're going way back mm-hmm. now. Uh, that that is that good at identifying space uh, uh, on set pieces and, 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 and curling out and, and, and finding that pocket. Now, Wagerly was not as good a finisher, right? But he, he, he was able to, to help the U.S. Uh, and help his club teams, right? D.C. United and, and Tampa Bay Mutiny, and then before that, Queens Park Rangers, uh, et cetera, in, 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 the, in uh, England. Uh, Chelsea played four for a little bit. That's, that is amazing. The, the pocket of space he found on that first goal, and he, he, he was doing it regularly during the match, wasn't necessarily getting the service. Second goal, he scores on the break. Again, uh, mentioned left side, Robinson um, playing very, very well. Ariola playing well. Finding him on the run, he's able to finish with ease. Uh, I thought it was just a phenomenal performance where uh, he and Aronson were pulling the um, – the Jamaican defenders out of position. And uh, also very, very importantly uh, for, for, for the U S uh, to me is Paul Areola's versatility. He is able, you're able to plug him in in different positions and he, he runs his socks off. He's kind of like James Milner and it's kind of like Milner in that he plays every position also. So um, I really like the like look of this U S team. I know uh, there are a lot of fans who have an agenda to promote certain players who are at big clubs in Europe and, May, may not like that we're talking about MLS guys or a guy in Brendan Aronson just left MLS in, 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 in the winter. But these are guys, or they don't like we're talking about Anthony Robinson in place now in the second division, right, in England because Fulham has been relegated. But uh, these are the guys who are carrying the United States right now. 
And it's not just that we're getting results. We're looking really good. And this is what Burhalter's style was about. It was about getting the fullbacks forward, pushing the ball out quickly, and uh, creating uh, mismatches. A lot of times we talked about Burhalter saying, well, he's trying to get the U.S. to impose themselves from a possession standpoint on the opposition, and we don't have the players to do that. We don't have the technical players. That's probably true, but but that's one aspect of what he's wanting to do. The other aspect was trying to move the ball quickly and and guys move into space and recognize those pockets of space, make those runs quicker, which um, we saw at times from Pulisic. uh, We haven't seen enough of it from Josh Sargent, quite frankly. Uh, We have not seen – but uh, regularly enough from from Giorena, although he hasn't been in, the, he's been hurt half the time, right? When we we've had internationals, we're seeing it from Aronson more often. In fact, even that first friendly, Aronson came on. He came on for Pulisic. Remember at halftime, I can't remember who we were mm-hmm. playing, but you saw it right away. He recognizes where he needs to be, when to make the run, when to make the diagonal, and and similarly with both uh, with Death now back on his natural right side, and. Uh, Robinson playing on the left. You have uh, right and left backs who recognize how to, when to play that diagonal, when to play that, 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 that ball on the ground, when to overlap. And so it's actually fantastic. And we obviously have um, also uh, uh, DeAndre Yedlin and Reggie Cannon as right backs. We have Joe Scaly who scored a goal this past weekend for Wuchen Gladbach. Didn't get called in uh, this time, but I'm sure, uh, not, not I'm sure, I know Greg Berhalter, uh, rates him, and, and he's going to call him, him in eventually. So the fullbacks are now becoming a focal point in how the U.S. plays. And if you think about it, we have had so much trouble at those positions through the years. And now we have uh, – hopefully it's not that we're not just in a good moment with Robinson and Guest and, and Scaly, as I said, who, who isn't even in the camp this time, but is definitely in, in, uh, in the mix. Uh, I think uh, we have – the kind of uh, wide players that can really open things up in CONCACAF for us. Now, when we do qualify, we're going to need the technical players like Pulisic and, and Reyna and uh, Sargent and also uh, uh, McKinney and Adams to continue to do their thing, to do their thing that they're really good at. But I think for qualifying through CONCACAF, this team is better than the team with, which is loaded with uh, big-time European guys. Uh, uh, to be honest, I mm-hmm. just think that it's the way it sets up and it's the way teams defend you in CONCACAF, right? So Jamaica, obviously, right. first minute, uh, Kmar Lawrence, um, you could argue, and it should have been a red card, maybe, she, but whatever. They're going to be physical. They're going to be trying to, to snuff out uh, danger and sit, uh, and sit deep. So what you need is vertical runners against that. And this has been one of uh, – the critiques I've made of some of the American players in Europe, that they're not, they're not necessarily uh, recognizing and reading and running off the ball the way moving off the ball that maybe we would need them to for the national team. Um, Brendan Aronson, on the other hand, is making those runs, and he's direct, and he's, uh, and, and he's very, very smart about when he makes the run. Um, you, know, we, you can be really fast. Timo Werner is – incredibly fast. That's why we call him Turbo Timo. If you watch a Chelsea game, he's offside three or four times a game because he's not timing his runs properly. Uh, that, we don't have that problem with Brendan Aronson. He's been, 
phenomenal. And I think, again, Pepe Aronson, Dest, and uh, Anthony Robinson, I think those are your key guys right now. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you there. And, of course, while we're doing the program, we're keeping up on some scores right now, of course, with other CONCACAF World Cup qualifying matches currently. Honduras is uh, nil-nil at home against Costa Rica. Uh, Jamaica, excuse me, Mexico underway already uh, against Canada at the Estadio Azteca. Mm. And at the moment, that's uh, nil-nil as well. So we're keeping up to date on uh, what scores, and we'll let you know if there's any goals scored cool. in any of these cool. matches. And, of course, that's... Daniel, I mean, I mm-hmm. think uh, we'll, see, we'll see what happens tonight. But I, I'm really... Uh upbeat about Canada's opportunity to go into Azteca tonight and, and maybe get something. So we'll, let's see what happens. No, I agree with you. And, you know, look, you cannot really poo-poo Canada anymore, Cardick. They have the same – a good amount of players playing in Europe. We all know about Alfonso Davies, Kyle Lauren, um, Jonathan David, and, you know, Junior Hoylet. And, you know, you can go to talk to Dwayne Rollins. You can talk to uh, Kevin Laramay about the Canadian – national team and what they have going on, whether they're playing in MLS or the Canadian Premier League or in Europe all over the place. Because I'm telling you right now, Cardick, this is what I've been striving for and rooting for Canada to improve because it's nice to have Mexico and the U.S. doing well. But when you have all three nations in the North Zone really at the top of their level, top of their game, that makes this region even better. And that's what you want to see. You want to see strength from the northern end of CONCACAF. Obviously, you want to see what the Central American countries can do in UNCAF. And then, of course, the Caribbean Football Union, uh, seeing what um, Curacao has done, what Jamaica is yeah. trying to do. But now they're having some issues, and unfortunately, in the final round. Yeah, um, you I, know, th- I hoping think for Jamaica really got... improving. Oh. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, I think Jamaica, they, they obviously weren't very good tonight, but I think they really got messed up by the U.K. red list uh, for COVID. Mm-hmm. In the, I, I, the Jamaica team we saw in the first three matches is not the real job. Oh, oh, opportunity for Canada there. Good save from, uh, from Memo Ochoa. Rebound fell. Was that Jonathan yep. David? Uh, that was I David think so. Who put a, a good shot at target. Yeah, yeah, opportunity there for yep. Canada early. But uh, to speak to, on Canada specifically, they have – the players now, um, I, I'm not trying to disrespect the rest of the region because I know there'll be people who say, oh, you're disrespecting Honduras and, and you're disrespecting Panama. And they obviously they both qualified for the last World Cup. And Honduras, we know, uh, has some particularly good athletes, although I think there's an imbalance maybe in their squad right now. Um, I, uh, I just think Canada, when you talk about Jonathan David and you talk about Alfonso Davies, those are two guys who are high, high-level players. Davies is world-class. David was, I think, the key guy or one of the uh, two or three key guys for Lil when they won the title. Remember, they finished ahead of PSG last year in France. They won the championship. And then mm-hmm. you talk about yep. you add Laren into that mix. You add, um, you add some of the other European guys, guys with European experience, but also guys that have come up through Major League Soccer. You throw in the quality of the academy system, uh, particularly with Vancouver, uh, I just think it's their time. I, I'd be very disappointed in Canada. I, I, I know it's a building process, but I have to say, given where some of the other nations are in CONCACAF, I would be very disappointed if Canada doesn't get out of this octagonal in third or fourth. Maybe they're fourth and they go to the playoffs and lose, but they've got to be in that top half. 
uh, based on the guys they, they have really right do. Now. And how good those guys no, are. No, they really, really level. do. And I, I also have to say this as well. You've got to give John Herdman a lot of credit for what he has done with his Canadian squad, whether it be in the Gold Cup this past summer um, and at the same time these first three games that they've played in. Um, I, I've said this many, many times, and, you know, it's not so much, you know, who are you bringing over to manage this club. It's how can a national team manager instill confidence in these players to improve their play. It's, we all know what they can do on the club level, but it's about harnessing all of the technical ability at the national team level that that head coach has to do. And it's, sometimes it's not just a system. Sometimes it's yeah. how, to, how do you round these guys up and give them the belief that they can do what you want them to do on the national team level. And, you know, John Herdman, I give him tons of credit for what he has done. I will say this again as well. He has outcoached Greg Berhalter two times in the last four meetings against, uh, against the guys, against the U.S. Um, Canada, you got to give Canada plenty of credit. The Nations League group stage um, in Toronto and the 1-1 draw at Nashville because he made subs when Greg Berhalter refused to make subs in 40 minutes of gameplay, of course, not counting halftime after, after Sergino Dest's injury in the September window qualifiers in, uh, in Nashville at Nissan stadium. Yeah. I, I mean, I heard men has surprised me. I, I'll be admit. I, I was one of the people who said, I thought it was absolutely ridiculous that the Canadian Federation gave him the job. Uh, when me too, what what happened was yeah, it looked like England wanted to hire. It was it was down to him and Phil Neville to be the the women's coach for England, and uh, and uh, Canada decided to hold on. In order to hold on to him, they would make him the men's coach, uh, and I thought that was ludicrous. But uh, it ended up working out, and and yeah, he has done a great job of adjusting. And that man management part is important. And I have to say, I think Greg Berhalter is getting better at that. I don't think he was very good at that his first year on the job. Uh, but th- th- this is a process, right? We always had the target date of 2022 uh, to get this thing right. And then, uh, so we thought, okay, we need to get, we need to have everything, uh, the continuity by the middle of 2020 and COVID messed that up and messed it up for everybody. Right. Um, yep. So I think he's getting a better handle on who needs to be in the camp, how you, uh, you handle issues in the camp, what you do with guys that may not be, um, may not feel like they're included in the group, how you put an arm on them. You, you make make sure they're still on side and they make sure they're still feeling good about the program and the process because they are young players. So that makes it much more complicated. Burhalter has a team without very many veterans, very many veteran leaders. So, uh, and then you, yep. you, you are in a situation for this, these three games, where you have injuries to uh, to to Pulisic, to Reina, to John Brooks, uh, those are arguably like three of the top four U.S. players in Europe. Um, and then you've got uh, this issue with Weston McKinney that flared up in the last set of qualifiers, and how Berhalter handled that appears to have worked. It could have blown up in his face, sending. Um, McKinney back at home, it could have created a backlash. It could have created a player revolt. Instead, what we saw was the rallying effect 
once McKinney was sent home or sent back to, to Turin, not home, but back to his club, right? Sent back to Juventus um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in that second half against Honduras. And now today we see McKinney brought back into the side, starting in the center of midfield, and things, the spirit was high. The performance was good. Uh, there were uh, there were very few shaky moments. I think there were a couple counterattacks where Jamaica had an opportunity, and Jamaica didn't have Leon Bailey today, by the way. That's uh, maybe their best player. Uh, we should note that. Uh, but they still had a pretty good side, right? They had a better side than they had in the first three qualifiers. Mexico has just scored. Um, yep. By the way, Raul Jimenez Mexico. Is, is back for the first first game for him for Mexico in yep. about a year since his head injury. Yep. Yeah. Um, yep. So we'll, Canada we'll takes the first punch in the mouth in their qualifier. Um, but I agree with you there, Kardec. Um, You know, what's been going on in our region so far in this octagonal has been amazing. Um, that's about somewhere around three minutes already played in second half stoppage time between Costa Rica and Honduras. I want to, I really want to say this about Burhalter. And, you know, when he tinkered with the lineup, to start the match against Honduras down there. You can tell nothing was working. You can tell that everyone was not in sync. Everyone was just lost. You put a midfielder on the back line. You put a back liner in the midfield. There's no way you can have any cohesion in that starting 11 in the opening 45. And I'll admit it. I'll admit it, Cardick. I wanted Berhalter fired right there and right, right there and then. I wanted him gone because... You haven't – okay, fine. You know, many people said, well, the U.S. should have destroyed El Salvador down in Central America, which I still contend that if you get a point oh, – excuse me. <coughs> excuse me. If you still get a point on the road, especially in Central America, it's still a positive result. Obviously, we had a yeah. better team than El Salvador, and El Salvador was not looking for a goal. They just wanted to frustrate our guys, and they were trying to sneak in a goal as much as they could. It did not work. But once again, Hugo Perez showed why maybe he should have been considered as national team manager for uh, for the USA, which it did not happen. And yeah. then the whole yeah, 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 debacle yeah, yeah, at the, home. On that sub- oh, I was going to say on that subject, uh, uh, just real briefly, uh, Daniel, I, it, the way uh, uh, this federation has treated one of our great legends uh, of American soccer, and Hugo Perez, uh, is disgraceful and that he's gone to El Salvador and has them hands punching well above their weight right now, uh, speaks volumes. And, and, you know, maybe Hugo Perez will be the next national team coach for the U.S. because uh, it'd be nice to bring him back home. And and I agree with you. He should have been considered this last time. So go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he should have been considered. And, you know, when you're playing at home against Canada, it doesn't matter if it's Canada or even Jamaica or Mexico or, you know, facing El Salvador at home, any opponent you face at home in World Cup qualifying – you must get the three points. And I think, and sadly, like I said, Greg was out coached by Herdman. Greg had a brain fart. You know, he didn't yeah. know what to do uh, until the 83rd minute where he subs in three players when it was too little too late because Herdman made subs. Um, Lauren uh, equalized off that great cross by Alfonso Davies, who, of course, cut inside the right, the, uh, the right fullback, which was DeAndre Yedlin. And then... In the opening 45 in Honduras, he allowed Honduras to dictate the match. And that's what you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to allow your opponent to dictate the match, regardless of how much better your squad is to 
this Honduras squad. And unfortunately, Daniel, let me say Gre- something about that because I wasn't on the show after that game. Mm-hmm. That first mm-hmm. half mm-hmm. from the United States was the worst first half in World Cup qualifying for the U.S. I think since since uh, uh, maybe the uh, the first half of the game in, against Honduras at RFK Stadium in 2001. Twenty years. Worst half of, of football in qualifying. We didn't qualify for the last World Cup. We didn't have a half in that entire qualifying cycle as bad as that first half in, in, in uh, San Pedro Sula. It, it was disgusting. And so I wasn't on the show that night. I didn't get to say that four weeks ago, but it was the worst half of football in World Cup qualifying for the U.S. From, in 20 years, in my opinion. Right. That's how exactly. No, so, it, I mean, of course, that's like how bad it was. You're about to say yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, of course. Second half was much better because he had to put the, you know, he, he, he reformed the formation, went to, back to the 4-3-3, uh, made subs at halftime, which he knew he had to, because if he would have kept it that way uh, in the second half, in, in my mind, should have been fired right there and then. But that, that second half, in my opinion, saved his job to remain as head coach of, the, of this U.S. men's national team. And tonight, tonight was an amazing match against Jamaica. Um, I will blame the grounds crew for not watering the pitch well enough for them to play their style, our boys, I should say, because yeah. at halftime, apparently, um, Sam Borden said that, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the field was very dry and they couldn't play their tempo. They couldn't play fast enough. So all yeah. you can say is, is that when it was actually watered a lot better at halftime, then everything got to become better. And let me get back to the match because I got to tell you, Cardick, we have been waiting for Timothy Weah to step back on the pitch with the U.S. jersey on. And my God, subbing in, he looked tremendous. He looked like his old self. I think he probably looks better than what he used to play, how he used to play before he got hurt. And... Doing so well. I, where is he playing? I think again in league on with he's a, Lil. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's with Lil. So we just talked about Jonathan David, of course, who led the line for them last year, Canadian international, uh, and they won the title. Right? They they finished ahead of PSG uh, last day of the season. They finished a point ahead of them. Timothy Weah didn't start many matches because they have a they had a title winning team. But there was this there were there was a match against PSG at Parc des Princes. Uh, that, as it turns out, determined the title. It was in April, so obviously there was another month of the season after that. But Jonathan David scores, Canadian International, then gets hurt. Timothy Weah comes on. He doesn't score another goal, but he's, he's making runs, and he's having to play centrally. He can, remember, he was playing on the right today, uh, or on the left, sorry. But he was playing wide. And um, he's holding up the ball and making runs like he had never made before for either the U.S. or for any of his club teams. Um, I think having to compete for playing time, I think playing with another guy from CONCACAF who, who's starting ahead of him in, in, in uh, Jonathan David, although thus far this season, they, 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 Wea has been playing on the left and David's been playing centrally. So they've both been playing together. I think has made him a better player competing uh, for, for, for that time. He's also a little older and more mature. But, uh, yeah, Wea is, uh, is, is a key guy, and he's another guy that can play – uh, in a wide position, you have the option. Now, I don't know what this does to, to, to Gio Reyna, but you have the option of playing Christian Pulisic centrally in a central attacking uh, number 10 position, playing, playing Aronson on the right and Weah on the left, uh, if you want to do that, Pepe yeah. up top 
um, mm-hmm. or, or, or Savachu or, 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 or Sergeant, whoever. Um, so you have more options now that, that way is back from injury, is playing regularly with Lil. Like I said, he doesn't always start, but he plays, and, and it's a team that won the title last year in France. They're not going to win the title this year because PSG's response to not winning the title was to go sign Messi. <laughs> so and Sergio Ramos and Vinaldo. So obviously PSG's going to run away with that league this year. But um, the, I, I think also if you look at Weah's game, it's transformed from a guy that was really um, interested in using his pace and, and, and running – uh, kind of uh, vertically and just getting behind defenders to a smarter game where he's making diagonal runs. He's making little curling runs. I've seen him play nice little passing triangles at, at Lille, which you could see him doing with Pulisic and, and Reyna, for instance, when they're, when they're both fit, again, with the U.S. So there's a lot to like about Timmy Weah. I'm glad you're pointing out how, how good he's looking. Yeah, I agree. And Weah, I, I mean, he's been unbelievable And who knows if he starts uh, um, the road match down in Panama, which will be on uh, Paramount Plus uh, on the app, or if you can watch it on Spanish language on Telemundo uh, down there at 6 o'clock Eastern, uh, 3 o'clock Pacific this coming Sunday. Uh, go ahead and take a look and see what's going to happen. But, you know, that's going to be a big, big moment there for the U.S. to go down in Panama. And, uh, you know, I'll say it draws not enough now. We have the talent to go out there and win on the road in these uh, venues that uh, normally, you know, you'd be happy with a point, but we'll see what happens moving forward. But as I've said, Cardick, you know, right now, um, you need to at least get a minimum of six points in this October window with two, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> two games at home, two home games right now. You need at least six points minimum in these three games. If they get seven, that's fine. If they get nine, it's, you know, more than what you could expect from, you know, Greg Berhalter's side. And then you're going into uh, that November window on that Friday night on the 12th of November, riding a hot hand uh, over in, in uh, Cincinnati. I was about to say Columbus, but that'll be on Wednesday against Costa Rica um, in the new downtown stadium. This this U.S. team right now, amazing young players. Pepe has been amazing. Aronson's been a godsend uh, attacking-wise. Wea, great to see him refreshed and ready to go and having competition in front of him for the first time in a long time. Um, I thought the back line was solid. Uh, Matt Turner, not really that busy. But I want to quickly say this, and I don't know if you're going to agree with me or not. As much as Zach Steffen should be the number one goalkeeper for this men's national team, until Manchester City puts him as the starting goalkeeper, and I'm not saying they should do it, but unless they do do it, that's the only way that Steffen will be in goal for the USA because he's getting minutes. Unless Man City puts him out on loan, instead of being a backup goalkeeper for their starter, anywhere in England, you know, whether it be the Premier League or the Championship, Football Leagues 1 and 2, hell, it could be Nations League, I, the National League, I don't care. I don't care. Zach Steffen needs playing time. And the injury he suffered against Mexico in the Nations League final of CONCACAF, 
That's the reason why you need minutes so you do not get injured while you're starting a championship final of any kind. This is why Matt Turner has been strong playing for the New England Revolution. They're having a hell of a year like they've never had before in their history in MLS. And I don't care if Matt Turner's playing in MLS. And I'm here to tell all USA fans who hate MLS. I do not care, and I do not care about how you think MLS will not do a damn thing for the national team. Because half of this national team has players that are playing in MLS that did play in MLS are now in Europe. How do you think Aronson did so well being with Red Bull Leipzig or Tyler Adams going, I'm sorry, Red Bull Salzburg and Tyler Adams at Red Bull Leipzig? Okay, we're lucky enough that Pulisic and Giovanni Reina went straight to Europe, but it is an MLS that they need well, they, the they minutes to perform and get but, but, scouted. By the way, I have to mention this, uh, uh, Daniel, because it's always forgotten by, by people who, who just think that if a guy's in MLS, he's not very good. Christian Pulisic had a, has a Croatian passport also, in addition to his American passport. Giovanni Reina has a U.K. passport in addition to his U.S. passport. That allowed these guys to get to Europe before the age of 18, okay? There's a reason why Weston McKinney had to go through Dallas' academy and couldn't go to Schalke until he was 18, even though they had been scouting him since he was 15. Uh, same thing with Haji Wright having to spend a year with the Cosmos before he went to Schalke, because they didn't have UK passport. They didn't have EU pa- uh, passport uh, in the EU. It actually won't work for Gio Reyna or a player like Gio Reyna in the future because of uh, uh, Brexit. But the point being that MLS is – the vast majority of guys don't have – dual nationality to where they can go and they can just go sign with a European club at 15. You, you can't uh, if you're uh, an, a U.S. passport holder. And that's always forgotten. Uh, Ricardo Pepe could not have gone to Europe at 16. He could not go to Europe till now. Um, same thing with uh, the, the, the other guys you mentioned, right? Uh, Tyler Adams couldn't have gone at 18, uh, at 16. He, had to, he went, ended up going at 19. To your point on Zach Steffen, Obviously, I'm a Manchester City supporter. I've watched Stefan in the games he's played. Maybe it's because he's uh, not getting enough games. But to be perfectly frank with you, and I know U.S. fans hate to hear this, he's been very poor. He's been very underwhelming when he's played in place of Ederson, whether it's a cup match or the league match, the few league matches Ederson missed last season. Uh, so I, I don't have much confidence in Stefan. To, 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 be, to be honest with you. And then we also have a situation where Ethan Horvath is not starting at, at, at force right now. So I, I think Matt Turner is your keeper. And if Turner were to get hurt, you're going to have yep. to look at another guy who's starting in MLS. That's my opinion. Then it's gonna be, and that's going to be Sean Johnson because at least he's getting minutes. Yeah. That, yeah because yeah, he's, that starting, be he's starting for New York City FC. Sean Johnson's starting at NYC FC. He's getting minutes. He at least is getting playing time, and that is what this is all about. You have to understand, you have to be smart about it, because if what Matt Turner has done in the Gold Cup, unbelievable. He only coughed up one goal, and that was a penalty for Martinique in the second group stage match of this past summer's Gold Cup. Other than that, it's been clean sheet here, clean sheet there. Yes, he got scored on by the Canadians. Yes, he got scored on down in Honduras. But none of those goals were his fault because it was poor defending. Poor defending that put him high and dry, and he got bombed on. When you see Matt Turner playing in goal 
for the Revolution. I've seen him playing for the Revolution a couple of times against the New York Red Bulls. He has been unstoppable. He's great stopping penalties as well. And that also counted in the international game at the end of uh, 2020 um, against El Salvador down in Fort Lauderdale. Stop that penalty. I saw him stop a penalty on the Red Bulls in a U.S. Open Cup match. That's how good that Matt Turner has been. And the truth is, Matt Turner wasn't even a, a, a soccer player guy or wanted to be in soccer because he was a baseball fan. He wanted to be, He's from New Jersey. He wanted to be a baseball player when growing up. But then when he got into being a goalkeeper, <coughs> excuse me, for, you know, in, in, in the game, look what he's done. Look at his body of work. You don't have to play for a high-profile club to be a top goalkeeper in any league. And if you, people are going to keep complaining about Matt Turner being the starting goalkeeper because his club side is in MLS with the New England Revolution, well, guess what? Shame on you. A pox on your house. You do not decide what any U.S. manager does to bring in the talent to be on the national team, and you don't poo-poo on this league. MLS has been improving. MLS, Cardiff, and let's admit this, MLS has been improving on the talent. They've been doing well with their own academies. Each club has an academy. They're doing excellent work building, creating the talent pool. These MLS 2 teams that are in USL very soon to go to the MLS Next League has really done an amazing job of defining an American player, now all you have to do is harness it at the club level, and then and then you see what they can do for their national teams, respectively. Do you know how many players were on that pitch tonight for both Jamaica and for the U.S., and they played, in, and they played for an MLS team? I'll give you four players for formerly our New York Red Bulls. Tyler Adams for the, for the U.S., and for Jamaica, you had... Uh, Kamar Lawrence, Devin Speedy-Williams, and Junior Fleming's coming off the bench. Those are four players formerly of MLS club playing for the same club, either going through USL Championship, going into the uh, New York Red Bulls and MLS. Yeah, and some guys that have played in the USL Championship at, at uh, uh, Junior Fleming's with the Tampa Bay uh, Rowdies also. Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I agree with most of what you're saying. I have to say, I, I am not sure yet if the MLS move to the new league, uh, the move of the reserve teams to the new league is going to be a good thing or a bad thing. Because I think the competition that USL, and I'm not always a fan of USL, but the competition that's been provided in USL Championship and USL League One have made guys like Ricardo Pepe and Tyler Adams and Aaron Long and Alfonso Davies, who's one of the best left-sided players on the planet right now. Uh, watch Bayern any week, you know, you, you, you're amazed that this guy played in MLS, but he played in USL first uh, with the Whitecaps too. So uh, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I'm just a little nervous that the move of those reserve teams out of a good situation in USL uh, into a new league might, uh, might, might slow it down. So that's, that's my only, only critique of what you said, but I agree otherwise completely. Yeah. No, I understand what you're saying. I'm not saying that this, this, this new MLS Next League is going to be the best thing ever, but obviously they're going to have no choice because they're going to be forced to bring in new, other clubs, MLS, to have these matches being played with their, with their two teams, except what New York City FC doesn't have a two-team, and we'll see what happens there. But, you know, 
outside of that, I know USL is getting tired of having MLS two teams performing at either Championship League or USL League One. So we'll see what happens moving forward, and you know we'll see how good or how bad this whole situation will become. But outside of that, Cardiff, where are future national team players? Where are they going to play? Where are they going to get the minutes? Whether it be uh, reserve league, actual MLS league. In a, in a lower-level division league? I mean, where are they going to get their playing time? We don't know, but right now we do see it, and at the moment it's going uh, to be fine. Uh, real quick, it has already ended a while ago, actually. Scoreless draw between Costa Rica on the road at Honduras, so those two sides have dropped points. So right now Costa Rica and uh, Honduras are uh, not doing so hot right now. Uh, Canada still yeah, down 1-0 to Mexico. And U.S. Uh, 2-0 winners over Jamaica. Uh, and the final match for tonight uh, on um, on the docket, El Salvador and Panama. Actually, they've already are underway. They're 15 minutes in. And you can watch any of the uh, remaining CONCACAF matches uh, against, um, you know, on the Paramount Plus app. And, of course, there's TUDN or Univision uh, for Mexico hosting Canada. And it looked like maybe Canada had a possibility of a possible handball but yeah. once again VAR not in play Does, uh, because of infrastructure uh, issues let me ask you this uh, yeah Cardic. I don't know I, uh, I'm looking at that replay I think Kansas maybe should have had a penalty there um, yeah that's what oh, I'm saying yeah. that's what I'm saying yeah. because oh, no, the only the only stadiums right now uh, that can have VAR would be an MLS stadium uh, a, you know a, a uh, stadium in Mexico, especially at the Azteca, where the national team plays most of their games. I think you can have VAR in the national stadium for Costa Rica, but it's the rest of the stadiums yeah. that are, I mean, I admit, they're not, uh, you know, their infrastructure of these older stadiums all across Central America and the Caribbean are not made for the technology to install it. But let me just say this. Oh, and Canada just equalized. It's 1-1. As Canada's Jonathan Osorio from Toronto FC yeah. bangs one Beautiful pass ball from Memo Ochoa. You see that that pass from uh, Davies to put to put him in. Wow! Uh, oh, Canada, I think, has been the better team in this first half. Uh, we mentioned Ochoa made a great save earlier in the game, right before that penalty shot, which I think should have been a penalty. Uh, 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 Memo Ochoa had to make a really good save uh, on Victoria, who had cut inside diagonal run and had uh, had put a shot on target so i think that's just desserts uh we're looking at john herdman he, he's uh keeping his team focused but i think that that's uh justice in a way because i think they should have had a penalty and i canada has been yep. very good in this first half uh, i think they i agree with you absolutely yeah. yeah but sorry the replay again look, look no at i just uh look at that take that, take that pass and the run from osorio was perfect yeah that was uh that's how you score a goal away from home yeah, so basically Davies places the ball in a place where he knows Osorio is going to make the diagonal run because he's coming on an angle, weighted it perfectly. Like we said, Davies is a world-class player. He's not just uh, – look, a lot of people think I talk, talk up Alfonso Davies because he played in MLS, and they think I have an agenda for doing that. He is – talk to anyone who watches the Bundesliga. He is one of the best players in that league. He is one of the best left-sided players on the planet. It doesn't matter that he's Canadian and came through MLS. But you saw how he weighted that pass, and Osorio read it perfectly. Uh, they had obviously 
and probably trained, uh, worked on a move like that in training, won one. That's fantastic. Uh, I, I'm really it enjoying is. the it really is. team, by the way, Daniel. If if we if the listeners haven't noticed, I, I like I like watching them. No, I lo- I love watching them too. I'm enjoying how they're playing, and at the same time, you know, we could probably uh, have Dwayne Rollins with us to talk about this Canadian side and how they've been doing so well in World Cup qualifying. It's just amazing that right now it's at one one, and Canada just has to keep on pouring it on as much as they can. So it's a situation that. You know, they just got to keep on going. They have to keep on going. Have to. But outside of that, um, I think it's criminal that VAR has not been implemented in World Cup qualifying. And this is where, you know, I haven't really blamed Canada. I mean, excuse excuse me, not Canada. um, CONCACAF too much about what they have done wrong. I think so far Victor Montagliani has done everything right since Jeffrey Webb was ousted in the uh, infamous uh, Switzerland scandal at that famous hotel uh, in Zurich. But, um, you know, I think this is where I think FIFA and CONCACAF might have to pull together and help out these FAs. And they don't have to, you know, do any, like, hard tinkering. I just think what they have to do is find a way to get into a room prepare it for the technology and go ahead and do what you got to do because many people are still saying outside of the U.S. that the, the, the first tackle by Kamar Lawrence was not you know, denying of a goal-scoring opportunity that he was not the last, uh, he was not the last defender. I think he might have been. To me, it looked like he was the last defender at that opportunity. Yeah, it was 50-50, but he, right? I mean, the, the question mm-hmm. was, was Alvis Powell going to get that? He may have, but he also may not have. So I think it was 50-50. Um, I was more uh, – I, 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 I was less upset about the second non-call because I have to tell you, I think the second non-call, the Jamaican defender uh, played the ball, not the man. Now, it was a clumsy challenge. And he should have been yellow carded for it, and it should have been a foul and that uh, and a free kick, and that's what and happened. He got and so he got booked for it, and Damian Lowe got yeah, booked yeah, for the so second I one in the thirty-third minute. Uh, yeah, I think Lawrence, the Lawrence one is the more questionable call. I think that is probably I'm saying fifty-fifty. Now I think it's like sixty-forty or red. Uh, actually, I think that should have been a red card. The second challenge, I know everyone was upset about also, but I think that that I think that was probably the right call: yellow card, free kick. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I, I will say this. I think we've seen in MLS a lot. I, I don't know what we've seen enough of that in England or in the Premier League or in La Liga. But, you know, fine. You have to, you know, go for the ball, but you can't be clumsy while you make that challenge. Even if you did get the ball first, you have to take it away. Clean. Now, I think in Premier League, so, they, I think the, in the Premier League, unfortunately, I think they would have sent him off. I don't agree with that right. interpretation, but I think in the Premier League he gets sent off. The Premier League is very strict about that, right? If you're not, if right. You, even if you're playing the ball, if you're the guy, you're you're, and you're the last guy, you're you're sent off. So that's true. If it had been a Premier League match, he would have been sent off. But I, but I don't yeah. like that interpretation. I, I like the I like the fact that the Concacaf refs uh, just gave a yellow. Yeah. Well, obviously, we'll say this. I think we might agree here. The first one is definitely should have been red. Um, 
the second one, I guess, I guess we'll keep it a yellow uh, in our opinions. Uh, I mean, I think, in, I think to me, maybe fifty-one twenty-nine red. He may not even make the challenge. So if if uh, if Lawrence is sent, sent off in the first minute, I bet the Jamaican player doesn't even try and make that challenge because if it's eleven to ten, they don't want to be down to nine, and he probably doesn't even make the challenge. That's so the whole te- so, all of this stuff unfolds mm-hmm. differently if, if if Lawrence is sent off. Let's be honest. Yeah, I agree with you there. No, I absolutely agree with you there. I absolutely agree with you there. If if Kamar gets sent off. And obviously that challenge probably doesn't get made on Brendan Aronson and uh, there's no booking there on that uh, second uh, yellow card, red cardable offense. We'll see what happens there. Okay, so Cardick, Sunday, early evening, 6 o'clock Eastern, 3 o'clock Pacific on Paramount Plus English on your phone apps as well as Telemundo in Spanish language. The United States are going down to Panama City to take on the Canal Boys uh, for another big World Cup qualifier. What do we see here from Greg Berhalter? Obviously more of the same, or do you think he's going to tinker with the game plan? Not so much the formation. I think he keeps the 4-3-3. Obviously he's going to make a couple of changes to the starting 11. Uh, But do you think we're still going to see more of the same, or do you think we're going to get a little bit of a different look from Berhalter with this group? We get the same 11, I think, uh, against uh, Costa Rica. Uh, a week from today than we got, uh, uh, or six days from today, uh, that we got uh, uh, today. I think we get the same 11. Uh, Robinson and Destry are fullbacks. Uh, I think Miles Robinson starts uh, central defense, Musse, uh, McKinney, uh, uh, Adams, and the same front three, or maybe uh, maybe one change. But in Panama, I think you're going to see Timmy Weah start uh, out wide. I do think you still see Aronson and Pepe, although that's putting a lot on both of them. Uh, you have the ability to kind of rotate, but I, I don't think Berhalter wants to do that. You will probably see someone else in midfield. You couldn't even see Paul Ariola playing in midfield, actually, um, uh, in place of, of Mousse. Uh, I think you might see some rotation uh, with the center backs. You may not see Zimmerman start. Uh, maybe you won't see Miles Robinson start. This is a tough one here. Now for uh, Burhalter, I think Anthony Robinson is going so good right now. Uh, we talked about it against Canada. And then you don't start him against Honduras, which is a horrible error, right? And we talked about how bad that first half was. You bring Robinson in at halftime. He was one of the th- three subs at halftime, right, with Leggett. Leggett, uh, Leggett Robinson, I can't remember who the Aronson. first sub was. It may have been Pepe. No, it was Aronson. It was Aronson. Pepe, yes. It was Aronson so it was, so it was Aronson, Leggett, and Robinson, who are your three best Anthony players. Anthony Robinson, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if you take the chance and not start Anthony Robinson. But the problem is the fullback position in particular, it is very difficult to play three times in six days. So you may not have Robinson for 90 against Costa Rica, which is the game you have to win. If you only get a – I know we want three points in Panama, but if you only get a point down there, it's okay. So I'm thinking you might mm-hmm. play – someone else at left fullback. We may see DeAndre Yedlin. We may see Miles Robinson play right back, possibly. I mean, and so, because he can play out there. Uh, and you will see, I think, way up top, uh, uh, you might see Matthew Hope uh, play at center forward 
and then Pepe come on at halftime, keep Pepe for fresh for 90 minutes. Because actually, Pepe can only go um, 60 or 70 minutes anyway. So maybe maybe you do start him and, 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 and you make a change after 60 minutes, and then he plays 60 minutes against Costa Rica. Uh, but I think you're going to see some rotation. But I expect to see the same team you saw today, maybe with the one-swap Areola for Areola uh, next week against uh against costa rica and, and then you have a pretty kind of solid rotation the guys we've talked about that aren't here um uh, brooks will slot right back in at center back but uh pulisic reina joe scaly uh uh p folk the guys that aren't here you're going to have to figure out uh what to do with and how to fit them into this team because i have to tell you i think it's going really good right now and um, well, so much of this is about psychology and man management. So Greg Verhalter is also going to have to tell some of those stars. Uh, again, I think my solution might be to move Pulisic inside. Uh, still play him, but move him inside. But if you do that, then Reyna's not playing. So yeah, Verhalter is going to have to really use all his skill to keep all the players happy and not sulking. Uh, because, like I said, it's going really good, and I don't want to make many changes. And I know some of our most... Uh, important and visible players uh, are, are, are not in the team this time, right? I, I, you know, you, I, you could argue probably, well, McKinney is there, but uh, of the four best players we have in Europe right now, three of them are Pulisic, Reyna, and Brooks. Those three guys aren't here. But I don't want to change the team because the team is playing too well. Um, so that's, that's, that, maybe that's not something to worry about until November, but that is a potential issue in November. Yes, it is. Um, quickly, halftime. Canada, Mexico. It's leveled at one apiece, and we'll see what happens in that second half. But unfortunately, uh, our show is uh, over tonight. And really quick, another quick update right now. Uh, 28th minute, El Salvador nil, Panama nil uh, in their qualifier. So uh, we'll see what happens moving forward when we get to Sunday. Carter Krishnar will be joining me on Sunday as well for post-match. Yes. As the United States will take on Panama down at the Estadio Romel Fernandez. But at the Q2 in Austin, Texas, the United States defeats Jamaica by final of two goals to nil. Thanks to Carter Krishnar of World Soccer Talk joining me tonight. And hopefully it will be a positive result again on Sunday in at least three days. Carter, thank you again, and I'll talk to you on Sunday. I will talk to you on Sunday. Thank you to all the listeners. All right. And uh, once again, this is Daniel Feuerstein, Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. The United States defeating Jamaica once again by final of two goals to nil. All goals scored by the wunderkid of FC Dallas in Ricardo Pepe. Unbelievable what he has done so far in two World Cup qualifying matches. As always, enjoy your football. Talk to you guys on Sunday night at Panama City as the United States will try and get points against the Canal Boys of Panama. Have a good night. Take care so long and bye-bye for now.